around the country, schools are starting classes again, just as the Delta variant is causing a surge of COVID cases. In some places, that reopening has become contentious, like in Texas. There, local jurisdictions are clashing with Governor Greg Abbott over his ban on mask and vaccine mandates. Last week, we called up the superintendent of the Dallas Independent School District, Dr. Michael Inahosa, to ask about the challenges he's facing. We have this order by the governor that says we're not allowed to use masks as a strategy. And we're also not allowed to have virtual instruction. And we're also not allowed to ask people if they've been vaccinated. That's the perfect storm of how do you solve a problem? Michael is solving that problem by taking matters into his own hands. He's defying the governor by requiring students and teachers to wear masks in classrooms. And he's also trying to figure out how to get as many of his staff vaccinated and how to offer virtual instruction without state funding. What I say is that people want a problem solver, not a winder. And so that's what we've had to do is solve one problem after another. And some of them out of our control and some of them just got to deal with them. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, August 18th. Coming up on the show, how a Texas superintendent is opening schools while navigating the Delta variant and a politicized pandemic. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Michael Inahosa has led his Dallas district for 13 years. It's one of the biggest districts in the country, with 150,000 students, 90% of whom come from low-income families. We have more English learners than San Francisco has students. We have more English learners than El Paso or San Antonio. And we're very proud of our diversity. Michael said that prior to the pandemic, students in his district had been making a lot of academic progress. We were getting more students, college and career ready. And we were on this path to becoming one of the better urban districts in the country. In October, the year before, we had a tornado that closed down four of our schools. Then we got the pandemic and then we got the Texas snowmageddon. So it really kind of all hit at once. And none of those were on my calendar. And thank goodness, (laughs) none of those were on my strategic plan either. These challenges have set his students back. And that's been reflected in their test scores. This year, nearly 50% of eighth grade students failed the state exam. That compares to about 20% in 2019. And this is why Michael wants to get students back into the classroom. The CDC has said that returning to in-person learning should be a priority. Do you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. And would you say that's a priority for your district? 
Absolutely. We know that 5% of the students did very well in virtual instruction, but 95% did much better in person. But now we got to do it in a safe way. And now we get this new hit by this variant, which really almost in a week, it changed the conversation. Tell me about that. How has the Delta variant changed your thinking about bringing kids back to school? Well, you know, we only had 100 new cases of the virus on a given day in Dallas County. And so that was manageable. Last week, we jumped all the way up to over 1,300 cases of the variant that have now jumped into our face. So we've had to pivot, you know, zero to 60 overnight. And it was all driven by this new variant that has really caused us to change how we do business. Given the threat of the Delta variant, Michael's challenge is to open up schools safely. But he says he's facing that perfect storm of restrictions from the state. No vaccine mandate, no money for virtual learning, and no mask requirement. So he's come up with workarounds. Your school district is giving out a $500 incentive to teachers and staff to show proof of vaccination. Can you walk us through your reasoning there? Yeah, actually, uh, it was um, pretty strategic because I noticed this. One district did it because I do read a lot of the national media. And I said, aha, the feds are allowed to mandate vaccines at the federal level and even some states allowed, but we can't do it in Texas. We can't even ask if you've been vaccinated. So we had to do a workaround. And then we studied our ESSER plan, our federal dollars. You're allowed to give an incentive. And so then we started looking at this. And we said, you know, what can we do to have people voluntarily cooperate? And we have 22,000 employees. And in one day, 8,000 people have already turned in their documentation to show that they're vaccinated. And we're hoping that many others, you know, 500 is not a lot of money, but it is a lot of money to a lot of people. Right now, we were estimated only 50% of our employees were vaccinated. If we can get to 60 to 70 to 75%, now we got a chance for that to be a very viable second leg of the stool. Are you incentivizing students to get vaccinated as well? Not yet, not yet. And I heard a number which startled me that only 30% of our students who are eligible have gotten the vaccine. But right now I'm just trying to solve one problem at a time. Why do you think the number of vaccinated students is so low? 46% of our students are English learners. A lot of them are undocumented. And they don't trust any government. Are you kidding me? Now you're going to put a vaccine in my arm? We're 95% families of color. And families of color have a distrust of government. I'm an immigrant. I tell them all the time that I'm an immigrant. And I grew up in Dallas, in the inner city of Dallas. And I went out there and I took my vaccine very public. And the county commissioner, who's African-American, he did it. He's been on the county board for 30-something years. So we both were very public about taking our vaccine to try to get people to overcome those fears in a minority community. As a public official yourself, how are you maintaining trust with these families? I'm very transparent. I tell people, don't panic. Just like when we had a previous president and everybody thought they were going to get deported right away. I said, don't. Don't believe the hype. I'll tell you when it's time to panic. Right now is not the time. That's the same message I'm giving people right now. Since I've been the superintendent of for 13 years, I think I have some street cred with them. And so I tell them, 
I'll tell you when it's time to panic. Right now is not the time to panic. So that's my message to them. A spokeswoman for Governor Abbott said the state is strongly encouraging all Texans to get the vaccine because it's the best defense against COVID. She added vaccines will, quote, always remain voluntary and never forced in Texas. But beyond vaccines, Michael is facing other challenges, like how to pay the $100 million cost of remote schooling without state funding. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Districts in Florida and Georgia that have reopened in person have already had to put hundreds of students in quarantine. How are you preparing for the possibility of a major outbreak? Well, we will do that. We will put students in quarantine if we have to. Last week, we had over 20,000 students. But since our students are very compliant and wearing masks, we had less than 50 students out of 20,000 get the virus. But we're going to contact trace and we're going to quarantine because we feel that's the right thing to do. Right now, it hasn't been a problem, but we have to keep people safe, so we will quarantine. When students are in quarantine, Texas will fund virtual school. But general virtual instruction is not being funded right now, even if districts want to provide it. In Dallas, Michael is putting together a remote learning plan anyway. We're going to have one ready by the end of the month, and it's going to cost us $100 million is the estimate that we have. If we take as many as 10,000 students in a virtual environment, we won't get state funding. We don't have the luxury of offering a virtual option, but I'm going to have one, and I'm going to have one soon, even if we get no state dollars for it. We have the tools. We have Operation Connectivity. We have connected our buildings. We have connected the Wi-Fi They have the devices that have the curriculum, they just won't let us use it. But they'll let us use it if a student gets quarantined. The lack of funding for virtual learning feels like it's creating a gap between districts that have money and districts that don't. Yeah, I agree with you. And then there's no reason for it. And the state is flush because they got a lot of federal dollars and they should grant us that opportunity, especially since all of this happened overnight. Very few districts were wanting to do a virtual instruction. But now you have to, otherwise you're gonna lose your students and they're gonna go somewhere else. And so, yeah, it's creating the haves and the have-nots. 
Another restriction Michael is facing is an executive order from Governor Abbott that bans local jurisdictions, including school districts, from issuing mask mandates. The governor's spokeswoman said the time for mask mandates is over and that masking is a matter of personal responsibility. She added that parents and guardians have the right to decide whether their child will wear a mask. Despite that, Michael is requiring the use of masks in his district. I was on a call and they had a presenter from UT Southwestern Medical Center. And he says, look, if you've got the vaccine, then it's like if you go out in a rainstorm and you've got an umbrella, you're covered. At least you're probably not going to get very wet. You might get wet, but it's not going to be real bad. But then if you've got a raincoat on, now your chances of you getting wet is very slim. And so the mask is the raincoat. And the irony is that our little ones aren't eligible for the vaccine. And so they don't even have the umbrella. I came to the conclusion right away, we had to have masks. So what we're trying to do is provide as much protection as quickly as possible in this crisis. And so that's kind of the the thing that I heard that presentation. I said, okay, I got to do something, even if it doesn't comply with the governor's order. Well, how has Governor Abbott responded? The governor has been very quiet. He has not reached out to me formally, directly or indirectly. And I'm a little surprised. I was expecting to hear something. But unlike the governor in Florida, who's attacked superintendents and board members, our governor has not reached out in a positive or negative way to me or my team. Right after I took my action, our county executive actually sued the governor. I didn't sue the governor. He did. And then he prevailed in a local court. And now the governor has appealed that. On Sunday... A couple days after our interview, the Texas Supreme Court ruled in favor of the governor and temporarily halted the Dallas County mask mandate. But Michael has not changed the mask policy for his district. We've deliberately chosen not to sue at this time. We're not saying we're not going to, but at this time, we're just trying to get our kids back in school and make this work. But as of right now, we've decided not to sue. We've decided to kind of just let this thing play out. It feels like with the Delta variant spiking, schools are where this partisan battle over masks are playing out. As an educator, what does that feel like? It does not feel good. I can tell you that right now because I'm in a blue city in a purple county in a red state. And through this whole time, I've gotten conflicting recommendations from medical professionals and the local and the state and the federal based upon their worldview. And that leaves us hanging out to dry. Do you feel like the messages you are getting from various constituents are informed by politics, by fear, or by science? All of the above, and it weighs differently for everyone else. But, you know, I've been a superintendent for 27 years, and two things helped me get here. Number one, is I was a government teacher. So I understand politics. I'm not a politician, but I understand politics. And number two, I was a basketball referee for seven years. Everybody's always yelling at me. (laughs) So you learn how to develop a thick skin and you don't take it personally. Like people are trying to bait me and the governor into a fight. It's not personal. He's got a big complex state that he's got to run and I've got a big complex school district that I got to run. It's just 
We agree on a lot of things. We just don't agree on this one. That's all for today, Wednesday, August 18th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.